0: This is Lisa Harrison from Mad Money Monster and I am here as always with Mr. Mad Money Monster. Hello. And we are bringing you this podcast to talk about your finances and talk about improving your finances and to get you on the right path through relatable and hopefully entertaining stories.
1: We can only hope. (laughs)
0: Let's get into it. Today is a special episode of the Mad Money Monster show because we're talking with Diana Merriam about her upcoming economy conference. Diana is the chief economist and founder of the conference with a focus on financial independence and retire early. Not only will you get the skinny on economy, but you'll also be entertained by our fiery debate, pun intended. And if you'd like to attend economy in Cincinnati on March 7th, you can use the discount code madmoneymonster to get 10% off your general admission ticket. All right, this is Lisa from Mad Money Monster, and I'm here with Mr. Mad Money Monster, and we have a great episode for you today. We are sitting down with Diana Merriam and she is gonna tell us all about her story, her um, her finding the fire movement and her journey and leading up to her becoming the chief economist. Is that correct? Of That's the- correct of the Economy Conference coming up in March in Cincinnati. So let's jump right into it. Let's. Uh, I, I know you're, uh, I'm guessing, um, early 30s-ish. You don't have to tell us your exact age. I'm 32. Uh, I'm proud of it. Oh, right. There we go. I love that too. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know what your relationship with money was growing up. What, what did you see? What were your models?
2: I would say my biggest influence growing up was definitely my mom because she was the breadwinner. That was in my mind. She was very, um, she was very strict about like instilling in me never let a man take care of you, which I think has served me well, in some ways, and not so well in other ways. Seeing her as the breadwinner, and then also like when I started working, I've only ever really worked for women and for female-owned businesses. So like, my influences are that the women are the ones making the money her parents really wanted her to focus on finding a husband to take care of her. They didn't support her going to school. They didn't support her bringing, being the breadwinner. They thought it was weird. And so I think she really was resentful from, from growing up that way. And so she kind of went the polar opposite with me and, you know, definitely instilled in me to have this kind of fierce independence. And I think it has served me very well, um, but I also, you know, I'm not married yet. And I think when I am eventually married, it, it's more about partnership, you know, and I think I do have a thing where I am fiercely independent and that, that could cause some, I could see it causing some issues for me
0: down the line. I know that you had a, a dream at one point to be the world's highest paid female CEO.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Is that Isn't true? that obnoxious? It's <laughs> like, the, I hate that I told people that. <laughs> The ambitions that we have when we're younger, when we grow up and we mature and we become more self aware, you know, those things shift and change. So it's something that I roll my eyes at now, but, you know, it's a part of my history. And it was a very, you know, I really meant it when I said it. It's just things have changed over time. My 20s were really defined by, you know, trying to climb the ladder and be successful in my career and make more money. And I remember I had a professor in college when he was talking about like your career goals, he thought a good one was try to make six figures by 30. Mm. And I don't know why that was so influential for me, but that was that was a big goal of mine, make six figures by 30. And then I did it and it was like, okay. When you're making goals for yourself or what your ambitions are for yourself, I think I, I've learned past that I need to question where are those ambitions coming from? Are they really self-directed Or are they based on my social conditioning or influences, you know, from people growing up? Did you have a lot of student debt? I didn't only because I got a full scholarship to school. I got a full academic scholarship to Montclair State. And that was really awesome because they just, they contacted me like in December of my Senior year in high school, and they just said, if you go here, you got a full ride. I didn't have a lot of student debt, but I did take out loans for living expenses because that's just what you do. So I did have some debt. Um, It wasn't a ton, um, but that combined with some credit card debt that I accumulated um, in my 20s resulted in about 30 grand of debt when I was
0: like 28. The debt that you racked up on credit cards what were you what were you buying was that like essential debt you know sometimes it's not just the new pair of boots it's like you just oh, no, don't have the money you have an emergency
2: oh <laughs> I was like a party animal in my 20s living in New York City I mean that's what it's about you know wow. it's not I had a lot of fun but I didn't have much to
0: show for it you're in 30 grand debt you're enjoying your life you're making a lot of money am I am I right <laughs> I mean, enjoying feels like a
2: strong word because I think that's kind of what made me go on this journey of self-exploration that led to me getting out of debt and changing my whole life once I found the FIRE movement. I mean, I think that I was so career-oriented at the sacrifice of every other area of my life. Relationship-wise, I was single for a long time. You know, I didn't have a lot of deep friendships. I wasn't really taking care of myself because I was just so focused on work. Mm -hmm. And so the process of getting out of debt, it almost like gave me something to do and something to focus my energy on outside of work. And I tapped into this like resourcefulness and creativity that I didn't even know I had. Once I had that experience and I did this, what was perceived as a hard thing, because I got out of 30 grand of debt in 11 months. Oh, yeah. Then I, from there, I started saving 60% of my income, and that at that time of my life, I mean, I can say that like getting out of debt was my favorite part of my money journey. And then once I had that experience and had more confidence in my ability to do something difficult, it led me to do a lot of other things, like go to Spain and walk the Camino, which is, I don't know if you guys know the Camino mm-hmm. is a 500-mile trek across Spain, I took a two month unpaid sabbatical from work to go do that. So like, that was a really hard thing. Asking my company to let me work remotely and moving to Cincinnati, like uprooting my whole life and moving to a different city always intimidated me. Like I knew of people that would go and start their life over in a new city. And it always seemed so like outside of my comfort zone that I could never do that. Like I wasn't, I'm a very extroverted person, but it just like really intimidated me the Mm -hmm. idea of starting over somewhere new. And, um, you know, I, I definitely had some help in that. I had a friend here, so it wasn't like, I didn't know anyone. I didn't have to like start a new job. So I still had all the same colleagues. So there was definitely like, I did it with like training wheels, but now (laughs) like, I feel like I could go move to California or Colorado or like all these other places I want to explore because I took, I took, you know, I had an experience where I tried it in a, in a sense and now I feel like I could do it again and again. I did have a goal to get out of debt. And at the time I was in this like mastermind group of a number of women and we all had similar goals like getting out of debt, getting raises, um, you know, working out, losing weight, whatever it was. And so I had started thinking about it with this group. And when I I found some like debt reduction calculator and I calculated that it was going to take me like two or three years. And it just seemed like such a struggle because I don't think I had the right money mindset to fuel me putting in all of that work and staying so focused on it. It wasn't until I read the Mr. Money Mustache blog that it was almost like my mentality shifted in such a way that it made the whole process feel really easy.
1: You take great pleasure in in demonstrable kind of goals. You said everything was very satisfying and you seem to respond extremely well from what you're saying to putting in effort getting something back in, in a reasonable amount of time. What did you take away from those blogs that you then put into effect to achieve the goal that inspired you from the blog? It, it wasn't like these were just magic words and and your debt just melted away. You had to take major changes in your life and you were with this Group of of women, you were saying that that also seemed where they also is as, as goal oriented as you. And did you take this back to them? And most of all, how did you translate what you read from the blog into an actionable event?
2: The other women were definitely, I would say, as ambitious. One of us actually got into Harvard during the time we worked together, so that was awesome to see. Mm-hmm. And I this, I discovered Mr. Money Mustache through one of the women in the group. She worked for Google, and I guess like he's well known with engineers, software engineers. And so she ended up forwarding an article to the rest of us. So she introduced me to it. And then I kind of shared with the rest of the group, how I was, how much I loved that blog. Um, And I would say like what I took away from it, that the biggest thing I took away from the blog was that there are more resourceful and satisfying ways of getting your needs met than mindful, like mindless consumption. I would do things like, okay, I need to have internet is there a better way to do this? Oh, I'm going to share my internet with my downstairs neighbor and split the bill.
0: Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It didn't affect,
2: it didn't affect my usability. And it was like, what I was finding is that all these things that I was doing was creating a community around me because it was a lot of like sharing. So for instance, I was, I used to love going out and partying all the time and like drinking with my colleagues and I was going out to dinner a lot. I mean, I was wasting a lot of money and, but I loved how much fun I was having with the people. So instead I made my apartment more fun than a bar. I would host these elaborate dinner parties where I would cook the food. Everyone would bring the booze and we would like, I would invent all these games, bring a picture from your awkward phase. And we like (laughs) pass them around a table and like laughed about it. And then I would make up like what this game that I call suggestions where I write something ridiculous on a piece of paper. And I would like, like as you walk in the door, you have to pull something out of the hat, you know, and it's a slip of paper and it has this like weird suggestion. And it could be like play footsie with the person across from you or like complain how low the ceilings are. And I had really high ceilings, grab a tampon out of my bathroom and slip it in someone's pocket. Mm -hmm. I had a living room that was also the dining room and for the most part, this big table that I had was like up against the wall, but I would move all my furniture and pull this table out and see eight chairs around it. And they were like folding chairs that I keep in my closets. And um, so I would like curate this dinner party of like who I think should be in a room together. And sometimes it was amazing, but then sometimes people like wouldn't get along and that was entertainment in its own right. (laughs) You know, so I, I had so much fun with these dinner parties and I could figure out how to feed like eight people for like 30 bucks and i was like making my own laundry detergent and go into these like chinese market these chinese markets where um because i live next to like the chinatown of brooklyn and so i would go and get these big bags of vegetables for like five bucks like everything was super cheap um and like fresh fish and stuff that was just super cheap i would host these clothing exchanges where we would all clear out our closets and everyone would come over and we'd have music and we'd you know have mimosas on a sunday afternoon and like share and all of my friends were much more fashionable than me so i was like benefiting from their hand-me-downs and everybody <laughs> loved it like it was so much fun so it really not only was it more resourceful but it built community and it was a, it was just a hell of a lot more fun it took me 11 months to get out of 30 grand of debt but what I, all the the stuff that I learned and like all this resourcefulness stuff that, um, I implemented, I mean, that's just been carried through, you know, until today. I mean, I, I still stand by a lot of that stuff. I would say I'm probably not as frugal today as I was during that time. I went through a period of like extreme frugality where I never went out to eat. I cooked every single meal, but again, it, it taught me how to cook. Like I would make myself just a single person eating alone in my apartment. I'm like eating by candlelight this beautiful meal that I cooked for myself. Most people are like, Oh, I don't want to just cook for one. Like screw that. And, uh, and I was eating really well. I was working out all the time. Like that was, I feel like I really learned again, how to tap into my own resourcefulness, how to care for myself really well and how to share and build community. I mean, it was a wonderful time. Um, so I moved to Cincinnati in May and then I did the Camino September and October of that year, 2018, I bought a house. Um, so saving up that, you know, 20, 20% down payment. So I put my Mm -hmm. time there. I mean, I'm still like maxing out 401k IRA, HSA, like I'm doing all that, but Mm -hmm. all of that, like excess that I was just dumping into low fee index funds. Now I'm dumping into my conference.
0: How did you come to to say I'm going to I'm going to like put together a conference that's a pretty big undertaking
2: it is. And you know, it's funny because I was talking to um, another guy that I know that's a business consultant and he said, normally conferences are born out of something else. Like you've built a blog over 10 years and you have this following and you want a way for them to get together or something like that, right. where I didn't, I didn't start that way. I go to world domination summit. I went to camp mustache. I went to camp Phi last year. I've gone to FinCon. Um, professionally, I go to a lot of events I also went to Sense Positive in September. So I recognize how important it is to get out from behind your computer and and feel that community face to face. I get so much out of it. And my favorite event is World Domination Summit. This year will be the last year and I've gone, this will be my fourth year going. I found it because Mr. Money Mustache spoke at it maybe six years ago it's just mind blowing to me how they get like 2,000 people to spend $700 each to go to this event. And it is so well produced and the speakers are amazing. Imagine just sitting in this audience with you know, the energy of the people around you getting all their minds blown by this like amazing speaker. I mean, and then I'll, I can't tell you how many times like I'll turn to the person next to me and they're like crying or like, you know, we're like looking at each other like that was amazing or that that person is so cool or they're doing amazing things, you know, it's just- Nobody's it's,
1: nobody's handling any snakes or speaking in tongues?
2: No, <laughs> oh, there was a magician last year that was- oh. It's just very inspiring. And there's a certain way that I feel when I'm there. Like I feel this almost like expansiveness, like anything is possible. And that, you know, it's just an amazing feeling. Um, And then you have all these examples of these people around you that are all doing incredible things and very interesting things and living very non-conventional lives. And so I was really motivated that I wanted to create something that made other people feel that feeling about the fire movement because the fire movement also makes me feel that way. It's changed my life in incredible ways. I mean, the getting out of debt, saving 60% of my income, walking the Camino, moving to Cincinnati, buying a house, adopting a dog, meeting a mis- mi- my Midwestern gentleman. you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, I feel like my life is incredible and I love it so much. And it's all because of the pursuit of financial independence. So I, yeah, I was really motivated to give back to the community in this way. And I very much modeled this conference after all the things that I love about world domination summit. I am positioning it like the Ted talks of the fire movement, though. I will say that like I've gone to TEDx and I watched Ted talks. I feel like this is this event is is going to be as entertaining as it is informative. We have nine speakers, most of which have reached financial independence and retired early. So they're gonna talk about this from a number of different angles. And it's not like a workshop where you're sitting there coming up with a financial plan. I, I picture it as much more like inspirational and thought provoking, mm-hmm. where you know, you walk away and you go, huh, how might I implement some of this in my life, or maybe I want to learn more about this, that, or the other thing, or, you know, what people am I going to meet that I want to build relationships with? Um, that, that's the community part of it is huge. Um, the other piece of it, uh, that I really love is highlighting the city of Cincinnati as the best city to pursue financial independence. I love this city and I moved here from New York city. So that says a lot. So we're doing an urban hike, that's being facilitated by I call him a historian and he like rolls his eyes at me, but he is just like the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> you know, he's like one of those where he does these tours, these like walk he calls them urban hikes, and he walks you around to these really interesting places in the city. And I'll stop you on a street corner and tell you like the most fascinating. Thing that happened there a hundred years ago or whatever mm-hmm. it was. I mean, he's just a really interesting person and a very good storyteller. So we're also doing a brewery tour because Cincinnati is known for their breweries. Uh, we've, I mean, we've got so many breweries here. There's a very rich heritage um, dating back like a hundred years. That's going to be super fun. And then we're also uh, coordinating a dog meetup at a dog park so that all your financially conscious pups can get together
0: and talk finances. When is this? How can they get a ticket? You know, tell them specifics.
2: So it's on March 7th at the university of Cincinnati. You can go to economyconference.com and that's economy with an M E at the line at the end, not an M Y. Um, so economyconference.com, you can read about our nine amazing speakers. You can look at the full schedule. Um, You can buy tickets there. I also would love to point out that students get half price because I really want to make this stuff accessible to young people. I've been on campus a lot talking to students about this event, and it's probably one of the most satisfying parts of it for me um, to see the impacts that it's having on them because most of them haven't even heard of the FIRE movement, and they they just ask such thoughtful questions and they're very curious and interested. So I'm very uh, thrilled to be able to offer it to students. And just this week, I opened up an opportunity for anyone to sponsor a student if you'd like. So you can go and buy a student ticket. And when you're prompted to enter the attendee name, you can just write student sponsor and I will make sure to match you with a, a deserving student who really wants to come that might not be able to afford that price point. Follow me on economy conference on Facebook, on Instagram or economy con and on Twitter, which is another thing that people are pushing me to do, which I have outsourced to uh, an economy enthusiast uh, <laughs> Twitter. We are at economy conf. So just to kind of talk you through what's on the agenda, there are two sessions of speakers, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. The day will open up with an hour and a half of networking. So it's coffee, it's music from DJ Pete. Um, it's, we've got a couple of marketing partners there that have fun things for attendees to do. Um, and I'm creating this whole like lounge um, where all these like couches are there so you can like hang out and like chat and get to know people. And then the show will start at 10. We'll have four speakers from 10 to noon. And then there's a three-hour break in the middle of the day. And so you've got options. Everyone can go and get their lunch. And then at one o'clock, you can meet up to either go see the documentary Playing with Fire, which there's a movie theater in the same space that that our main stage is. In that student center, there's a 200-person movie theater that we're screening the documentary, like mind blown. So we've coordinated six Attend what I'm calling attendee led meetups. So you can, if you don't, if you've already seen the documentary or you don't want to see it, you can opt to sign up for a meetup about real estate, about investing, about finding your tribe, about um, healthcare options in in early retirement. Um, And there's a number of other ones. So go, if you go on to the Facebook events page, you'll see what all the options are for, for the attendee led meetups. Then after that, we will get back together for our second session of speakers. The show will end at six. Everyone will go their own way for dinner. And then at eight o'clock is the badass after party. So Mm -hmm. this venue downtown is called the Woodward Theater. It is extremely unique to Cincinnati. So another way to highlight this amazing city. It used to be a silent movie theater. It's a historical building that they have refurbished. And we've got a just an amazing band. We've got DJ Pete again. He's like, again, the music designer will be there with us all day. And then the next day we got those three free events. So, you know, I know I really kind of marketed it as a one day event and I added in the, the second day is just kind of like a, because a lot of people are traveling in for it. So I wanted to make it worth their travel. If you're traveling in for the event, there's a form that you can fill out that I will match you with a local host for you to get free accommodations and meet a new friend. There's a website called Group Carpool. So you can sign up to carpool with other people to the conference. Why would we all drive there separately, right? You'll save on parking, parking's like $5 for the day, but still re- regardless of saving on parking, you know, let's travel together, make a new friend on, even before you get to the conference. So there's an option on there where you can add a car, And like add how many seats you have available or you can grab a seat in someone's car and then your contact information is shared so you can figure out like where your pickup is going to be and you can coordinate with the person. So those are a couple like unique aspects to this event that might be buried in my website that maybe some people don't know about that, um, you know, will help you tap into the
0: resourcefulness of this community. So let's have some fun. Are you up for it? Let's do it. I found the fire movement in my late 30s. My husband, Mr. Mad Money Monster, here, was already in his 40s. So we had done some things right with money, but we also did a lot of stupid things. Um, So we found fire and we were like gung ho fire. And like you, so we paid off a lot of debt. You know, we only currently have our mortgage um, and then our mortgages on our rental properties, but you know, no credit card debt. We wiped out our student loans. We wiped out car payments. We re- wiped everything out. So no consumer debt. And it just kind of, so we went extreme frugal, right? And <laughs> we went uh, and we really kind of burned out, right? You would yeah. say after two ish years, we were, uh, you know, this is not as much, we're not getting joy out of life. Like I don't just want to sacrifice now, you know, for later. I also want to enjoy now because so, for us, we're looking at this from the lens of now 40 somethings, right? I'm mid 40s at this point. You know, we have our house, we have our mortgage, we have a daughter, we have two rental properties, we have, you know, we have all these like middle adulthood obligations. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, a few weeks ago, <laughs> um, I wrote this article The Five Things I Hate About the Fire Movement. <laughs> oh, I read it have a conversation right let's have a I conversation what... you want to go point by point i would love to all right number one a shift away from finance and toward more uh, fluffy lifestyle sort of things
1: my industry is built entirely on bull <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm a filmmaker i make horror movies for a living in hollywood
0: oh that's and, awesome uh,
1: i know exactly what goes on with people pitching things and bull and lies of omission and saying something's one thing and then you find out later it's another. She and I first got into our first financial disagreement when she read a certain thing on somebody who had also embraced the FIRE movement. And then when you find out, this person did a little research and found out that really what these people were saying was one thing and they just weren't divulging other things as well too. So So, so
0: basically they were making... You know this huge savings rate. You know, but but they didn't they didn't divulge how much they were making. They were you definitely know, to do that. they
1: were definitely cons- constructing a picture. When she read this expose, she got very upset with the author of the expose. And for me, I'm like I because don't
0: know I'm a fan, think. by the way, I'm a big yeah. fan. <laughs> and,
1: and I'm sitting there going, I I don't know why you're upset. This I said this was a total b- job from the very beginning. Their their picture constructed was we have achieved financial independence just by being 100% frugal. As I've seen this uh, movement grow, I'm seeing it moving away from finance, and I'm seeing it, and I understand that you can't just stay on rock hard numbers. It is about what you said, the, the the getting something out of it, the goal orientation, the achieving, the the, the satisfaction. I understand all of that but I'm hearing a lot of, and I'm just gonna be very blunt here, a lot of hippy dippy life coach language (laughs) that really I'm looking at going, why is anybody paying you $2,500 for a course to hear this? So for someone who took himself out of debt before reading a blog or anything like before blogs existed, maybe that's where it helps people. Where my problem was, are people passing themselves off to be one thing and they're they're real they've really got an agenda behind the scenes. And unfortunately that's that's my career, that's my job where I see this quite a bit, which is why I live on the East Coast and I don't live in Los Angeles. Well, Coaching, I mean, things like that. Do you
0: guys consider
2: your blog a finance blog? We do, yes. Because <laughs> I mean you also <laughs> state that your blog is about motivation, inspiration, and entertainment. So why is it not okay, <laughs> okay for anybody else to be that way?
1: We're not charging somebody twenty five hundred dollars for a course to hear that.
2: Money is emotional. We're talking about so much more than money because how you spend any resource is a reflection of what you value. When it, how you're spending your time, your money, your energy. So when what you think you value deep down isn't reflective of how you're spending those resources, I think that discrepancy feels uncomfortable, and so when people are talking about the hippy dippy shit, that's what they're talking about. They're they're talking about this discrepancy and getting that discrepancy right, so that the the actual numbers game becomes a lot easier. I mean, I I experienced that in my own life. I needed to have that mindset shift and understand the values of generosity and community and humor and creativity when I was able to tap into that. There are certainly some people that maybe don't have that authenticity. um, And you're going to see that in life anywhere. um, So probably including within the fire movement. And I got to see that firsthand because when I was looking for my speakers, I called on 150 people. -hmm. And these are people who are financially independent, and yet they wanted thirty thousand dollars to speak for half an hour.
0: I agree. Like, I feel what you're doing is completely genuine, and I think even if you were making a profit, like that's okay. I'm not saying that everybody that sells a course or does, you know, or makes money from the fire movement or a fire blogger, finance, whatever, is that's not a bad thing. What what I am cautioning people against is the people that are just coming to the movement. Um, they're just finding out about FIRE, and they're following maybe these, maybe someone who's not as, not as outspoken about where their income streams are coming from. They're doing a disservice because I think people think they're going to save X amount and they're going to live off the 4% rule, just like that person that they're following. Yet that person that they're following isn't necessarily drawing down on any investment.
1: What I'm coming from is what set the tone for me was that book, Exposé. And then you know a look into that background, and then seeing certain things happening and developing across the board, where you know we're we're having these uh, sunrise, you know, mantras, and and all of this stuff that to me just seemed uh, like I said from somebody with a history background, a little a little cultish perspective.
2: I can't wait for you to come to economy and like you're going to be the guy in the audience crying.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs>
2: I don't think that these bloggers or other people telling their stories the, is, is them saying, you should do what I'm doing. I believe that each person has a unique skill set, you know, set of preferences and circumstance that makes
0: everyone's money story really unique. Okay, so I got some heat also recently about, whoa, she s- says uh, um, all these things about side hustles, yet she has one and she has a podcast. Yes, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we are romanticizing side hustles. And yes, it does take time away from you, but I'm choosing to do this. I think somebody else who's coming into the side hustle, just start a blog. Yeah, you can start a blog in 15 minutes. That's true. But you're not going to make money from that blog in 15 minutes, maybe not even 15 months. Like We are way... We're way glamorizing these side hustles, which are basically second jobs. Let's face it, they're second jobs. I don't care how passionate you are about it, it's a second job.
2: Who's recommending that you make money off a blog? Because from my perception, Don't make, don't start a conference to make money and don't start a blog to make money. Like if that's
0: your motivation, then you pick the wrong side hustle. Oh, I agree. But if you've, I mean, it's all over, it's all over how to make extra money. You, you start a blog, you do surveys. Yes, blogs can, but then you're turning it into a full-time job. It's not just a side, a side thing because I have, My blog ballooned into nearly a second full-time job for me before I started scaling it back. I I can't stand it when people just, oh, just just start a side hustle because it's trendy. Everybody should have one. I mean, the term itself, you have it on the side of a a full-time job. I don't, I don't have a side hustle. I don't
2: consider economy a side hustle even though it's a business. I consider it a passion project because I'm not going to make an income from it. But it is a full-time job, and I, I love that I'm able to create something. I, I think it's probably more efficient that to – increase your income with your full-time job, whether that's getting a new position or, you know, trying to increase that versus trying to build something from scratch on the side. I Um, agree with you. Better way of going about it. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's not that side hustles are so bad. Maybe it's just that you gotta be careful about which one you pick. I do recognize that there's a lot of people out there that feel like fire is some is like a race. Like how fast can I get to financial independence? And that's where side hustles come in as like a way to increase your savings rate because you're making more income. Um, but I think that's everyone's personal choice. What I've learned on my journey is that the pursuit of financial independence led me to create a life that I don't feel like I need to retire from. I mean, I'm at the point now where, yeah, I saved 60% of my income and it's opened up a lot of options for me, but it, I love my life in a way that if I never reached financial independence, I don't know that that would matter. Like it's, it's almost like this shooting from the shooting for the moon and landing among the stars. That's kind of what I feel like I've done.
0: I think the perception is you can just do this and make a ton of money, which I don't think that's true. And I you right. have to also remember, we're looking at this through a different lens I'm in my mid-40s. I'm looking at it as a mother, as somebody who is taking care of a house and getting my child to soccer practice. And to just start a side hustle is not relatable, I think, to a lot of people. I don't mean to bash fire. Like I'm not like bashing fire all the time. That that's where I'm coming from. I I I think a lot of things within fire aren't relatable to a lot of people in my similar situation, right? Because that's my lens. Economy is a retirement project. It is a lot of
2: work that I'm not going to make a monetary profit from the things that I'm getting out of it. Like my compensation for all of this work I'm putting into it is seeing the impact I'm having on these students, the relationships I'm building with people, getting to talk to you guys just because I'm doing a crazy conference thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so much fun. Um, owning my own trademark. My corporate career is an intellectual property. I've spent 10 years licensing out brands like Budweiser and Jelly Belly and, you know, like all of these food and beverage brands, I own my own trademark now, you know, I mean, that's amazing. And the fact mm-hmm. that Mr. Money Mustache, who started this whole thing for me, he promoted my conference on his Facebook.
0: I didn't even ask him to do that. That's better than money to me. I think fire, again, from somebody that is coming new to it. I mean, that's the hook. Retire early is the hook. That's the piece everybody wants to do. Nobody wants yeah. to work anymore. That's the hook. So I think, yes, having your knowledge and having my knowledge and being, yes, I understand you can retire and still do other things, but that retire early piece is what gets people in. And that's what they're after. I think it's
2: the sexy
0: part of the movement, right? Like retire early. It's a really, it's a provocative idea, but then you Um, get into the movement and then it's something different. It's well, it's not necessarily retire. It's you're changing career. It's right. a thoughtful there, there, career change, you know? There
1: is an element I, of bait and switch.
2: Well, I do think that there are a lot of people that are actually retired and drawing down 4%. I mean, I've met them. Sure. So
0: it is possible if that's what you want. Let's hop down to uh, the corporate jobs and how I feel like it's down with the corporate jobs and you shouldn't want to sit under those fluorescent lights. Well, those fluorescent lights have been really good to me, really good to me over the years. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that is something that, well, that's part of the hook too, right? You can get out of those fluorescent lights. You should hate those And I never hated my job more. Like I actually really enjoy my job, but I started to hate my job when we were on the fire journey because I feel like I was, I was told that I should devouring that. Oh, you should, you know, oh gosh, going into the office, it's awful. You shouldn't want to do that. You should have your own thing. You shouldn't want to work for someone else. So all those messages, I think created more dissatisfaction in my life than I had before finding fire.
2: We have our cultural conditioning of, you know, you go to school, You, you graduate, you get the good job, you climb the ladder and then you, you know, you work nine to five until you're 65. I mean, that's kind of the, the thing that we expect. And so it's almost like going the opposite way. And there's this maybe conditioning in the fire movement of like, you think you're not supposed to go the you're supposed to go the unconventional route like that's what you're supposed to do Mm -hmm. um but I again I don't think there's any rules I think that people are sharing their experience and how they feel about their corporate careers then again that doesn't apply to everyone I'm kind of with you where I I don't know that I think I went through a period when I wasn't very happy with my job but rather than leaving it I just kind of changed it up to make it work for me working remotely like changed the dynamic a lot I have a lot of freedom and time. I don't have a lot of, like, I, I don't feel like I need more vacation time, but I could see someone, you know, I only get two weeks of vacation and I got to cram every, all of the adventure I want in my life into those two weeks. I could see a reason why that might not be appealing. I got fortunate enough where I could take like a mini retirement and I took two months off. And, you know, I have a lot of flexibility because my performance is based on sales. And so Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how many hours I work. It only matters what I deliver. And so there's not a lot of oversight of like, you have to sit at a desk for this period of time. I mean, I think I have a pretty unique situation where I don't mind my job so much. Um, but I, I know a lot of other people feel trapped and they don't feel that sense of freedom Mm -hmm. and they don't, they don't recognize that, you know, maybe there's a, it's either like deal with that
0: or quit. Like, there maybe there's a middle ground and we got to get more creative here but i'm very fortunate in that i enjoy my job and i have great coworkers and i have great benefits and the other thing again i keep coming back to we so our thing even though we're we're still in pursuit of financial independence and and we will hit that long before you know traditional retirement age and have no intent of pulling the plug on our careers but i think for most people for us i don't think fire is relatable at least at least in the middle of adulthood with your children with your houses with your obligations with again i have a mother who is who is aging she's 75 now she needs financial support from us that's something i never even considered um mm-hmm. back when we were starting this fire journey and and calculating how much we can need we need so we can draw down 4% i didn't consider having to help my mother financially yeah. so that's something that came up you know, because we're a little bit older and now we're in that phase of life that we have to deal with that. We, we So we try to focus on, for our audience, financial improvement. Yes, chase five, but chase financial improvement first. You have to walk before you can run. Um, so I think, again, from my perspective, fire isn't necessarily relatable to a lot of people in a like in the trenches of adulthood because they're not going to ride their bikes to work they're not you know do do you want the mother riding her bike to work that has three kids you know depending on her income you know i just i just to save some money i don't know
2: i kind of think that i see how how you're looking at it um and again everybody has unique circumstances that make some things work for them better than others
0: Mm -hmm.
2: um i also think about like what's the flip side to that let's say you have I don't know, like a dream to do. Like, like I had a dream to walk the Camino.
1: And Mm -hmm. again,
2: like I worked it out with my employer, but I would like to think if they said no, that I would quit and go anyway. Um, you know, because life is short and like, if I were to wait until traditional retirement age to do it, who knows like what could happen before then.
0: And I love that you're, um, sponsoring, uh, student, uh, tickets at your conference, because I think, that is the time to be introduced to the fire movement. I wish I had been introduced back before I had the, the obligations of adulthood, just mm-hmm. starting out with a blank slate. Like I think that is, that is prime to, to be introduced yeah. to these concepts and principles. So what do you think? You think, did we cover, we covered most I of the thing? I feel like things? we covered everything. It was <laughs> a fierce debate. So Diana, thank you for coming on the show. You want to um, just one more time, remind our audience um when, when your conference is, what it is, uh, the date, the, the tickets, how they can get, how they can get there.
2: So it's the economy conference. It is happening on March seventh this year at the University of Cincinnati, and you can learn more about the event and get tickets at economyconference.com.
0: Thank you. <laughs> this is a lot of fun, fun stuff. <laughs> yep. Thanks again. All right. Bye, guys. Uh, head on over to iTunes and give us a like and a review. And if you want to read our blog, it's madmoneymonster.com. And we are all over social media at madmoneymonster. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at themadmoneymonster at gmail.com.